Alrighty, welcome back to the podcast. Mm. Hydrating, drinking water. Um, welcome back, welcome back to Hempication. I got a topic for you today. Um, so I'm not going after um, this individual, but I do feel like um, if I could express my own experiences um, based on something that a YouTuber was mentioning. And I, I don't know or think, at least it doesn't seem like this person was intentionally trying to say some weird, inaccurate thing. Um, but I just, you know, so when it comes to homeless populations, I want to talk about that. Um, I can talk about the, in general, like I can talk in general about Southern California. I can talk in general about my experience working in San Diego with populations, um, who are homeless individuals, um, or below the poverty line in, in San Diego. Um, but also, I mean, there are very pricey cities in California. It's a huge, huge state. Um, I know that at one point, if I even think about, um, at one point, um, before the Rona, in San Francisco, if a person was maybe sharing a bedroom, shared bedroom for eight, nine hundred or so dollars, that was considered a good rate, and to some extent, and this is before, um, all of this more recent situation, um, things have definitely increased since then, and I know, um. At one point, I believe in February 2021, um, or was it 2022, it was said that San Diego had uh, surpassed the uh, housing costs uh, compared to San Francisco. Um, I don't know if it was 2021 or 2022, but I think uh, it must have been 2022 because um, it was right before I was trying to move and I remember talking to my friend on the phone about this while I was like packing uh, packing up some stuff um, during the month of June or May or so so I'm pretty sure um, it was February 2022 um, because it was pretty recent news at that time now things have even changed again since then and so um, I wouldn't say I have the most accurate information as of today, but I can, I, I'd like to speak to my experience cause I did make a comment. Um, so the YouTube video was by Nick Johnson. The video title was these homeless camps in California are beyond belief. Um, it was from two months ago and a, a good documented video showing visually that there are multiple homeless camps. Um, he talks about Sacramento, San Jose. Um, and I like, I mean, I hate, I hate that homelessness even is like having to be a thing for people to unfortunately experience, but 
I like that people are doing some form of creative work or passion work behind exposing the reality of what a person sees just just visually just like observing um how communities are changing uh because of the homeless the home the housing crisis in general um now i don't want to blame homeless people i i you know that's not my intention i'm not trying to blame homeless people and say oh like it's their fault it's their fault i want to speak more to the system and more direct um examples and i've probably talked about them before but i want to just kind of paint a picture and there were a couple things near about minute four and 26 seconds like right around there and before that timestamp, where nick johnson was talking about um two topics one of them was uh what i really wanted to comment on which was the Uh, he talked about government benefits and then also talked about like uh, people maybe not wanting to leave um, homelessness and wanting to live in these kind of camps and uh, wanting, you know, and, and maybe like would com- would prefer to be on substances. Uh, these are his comments around that timestamp. So I'm going to write down in my notes real quick. So... Um, so I said the first thing was the, uh, benefits, and then he mentioned the wanting to stay, and then the, uh, drugs. Um, so I would like to contribute to this conversation, um, I'm not trying to call this guy out. I'm really not trying to go on some kind of like an ego trip about this. Um, I just want to shed some light on how things look. Um, so I did write a comment on this video of his. Um, and I'm not trying to like say anything against him. Because uh, I don't know him. I mean, I don't know if he's housed or homeless or what his background is, what his situation is. Um, But I feel like sometimes, you know, when someone's walking around and seeing things with their eyes and then they talk about what they've heard, maybe, because people say these things. He's not the only one who ever says this stuff, but people say these things. And he's talking about what he has heard he doesn't say i heard this he's kind of throwing ideas out there i'll put it that way he's throwing ideas out there um and it's not uncommon ideas that people have but in my opinion and based on my experience working in the field a lot of those types of comments are are flawed when it comes to those types of topics um now let's just put it out there that you know there is a small percentage of 
any type of population on earth that's going to take advantage of some kind of system, right? But let me just explain how it is, um, say in California, for example. So, for example, if somebody, and I'm going to go in order with this too, but just just a broad example. If I were a person who wanted to play the system, right? Say Say if that was my goal, to live off of some kind of money where I just don't work. I live in San Diego, don't work, and want the government to pay for my living. Say say one day I wake up and that's like this is my goal. I purposely want to fraud the system, do some fraudulent activity with my life to try to not have to ever work, right? That's one thing. Um now that whole concept in itself when you think about it, it's like I already never really understood um, why somebody would want to go from, say, I don't know, let's say like an early age of independence, let's call it 25 years old. Let's say from 25 till retirement and then death. So 25 to 65 years old. And then after that, a person wanting to never, ever work from that point in time, right? Ever, ever. And they don't have money from family and they don't have money from friends. Nothing. Um, they're not fully sustaining themselves, like living off the land somewhere, like off the grid. They want to play the system and get some kind of checks coming in from the government. Let's just say that this is the thinking, right? And already just with that picture, that already sounds incredibly absurd, right? Like for someone to think, I just don't want to do anything. I'm going to go to school up to high school and then maybe go to college. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just making this this up off the top of my head just to like throw the scenario out there just to see does this sound like something that the majority of people who are homeless would want to basically base their life goals on? I mean, I don't think anybody wants that. And the reason why I say I don't think anybody wants that is because once you see what the picture looks like about how to get these checks from the government and how much they're giving you and how much in reality a person in somewhere like San Diego, California would have to get from the government to be able to live off of this money, it doesn't make logical sense that everybody who's homeless or even the majority of people who are homeless are homeless in this way it doesn't make any real sense right because it's it just people can't sustain themselves that way and so let's just keep going a little bit longer with this with this fake example and so a person 25 years old decides hey i'm gonna not work till I'm 65, you know, and then I don't know if, if there's even like a retirement. I don't know what happens at that age. Because by that age, it's like, I mean, you can still get employed at 65. But it's like, if you haven't worked for like, like 40 years, and you have like no work experience. I don't really know. I mean, you know, if a person hasn't contributed to anything, you know, I just don't know. Like, I, I don't know. So I don't want to go like too deep into into thinking off like on some tangent, but 
Say if a person really wants to play the system, they want to play the system, they want to go from 25 to 65 years old, like till retirement age, not making a cent, not working for any company, not working for themselves, not even getting paid under the table. And they're like, I just want these checks. I want these checks, right? If a person one day wakes up and decides that's the route they want to take, if say if they were housed or whatever situation they're coming from, let's let's call it best case scenario that a person was already housed, that they're, you know, that they, you know, weren't doing this out of, you know, being raised from a situation of trauma and poverty in the first place. Let's just say that a person was just willingly doing fine from the ages of 18 to 25 were living by themselves affording their own apartment and then all of a sudden you know we're working and stuff and then all of a sudden decided "Mm, I don't want to work anymore let me go become homeless and uh live off in the street and let the government pay for this right give me some benefits let them pay for it I don't want to work anymore I've been working for seven years the job I have sucks whatever you know I don't want to work and I don't know what somebody would want to do with their time or what they would assume their time would look like if they were coming from that scenario. And I would say that the majority of people who are in a good situation affording their life, um, even if it's a little, say if they even have a roommate or even if they're sharing a room or whatever that looks like, you know, but they're able to afford their life and still find a way to work up from there, most people aren't going to be like, "Uh, I just want to like stop doing all this and stop getting paid and never get paid and rely on someone else, let alone the government of all entities to pay for my life. Um, I I don't see that as, as something that would happen either, right? I don't think people would... Uh, purposely leave from any situation where they had opportunity or even opportunity to move up even if they weren't currently in that opportunity at that second in time I don't see any logic or accuracy in thinking that these that somebody in that position that the majority of homeless people would come from that scenario right and then if we take it worst case i mean there's i don't want to say worst case there's always like a worst case scenario but a worst case scenario from that if a person's coming from not a position where they have some extra control over over their you know uh living situation and they're coming from a place where maybe they don't have the education uh or the opportunities at work maybe there's a language barrier maybe there's some other like mental um issue going on emotional issue going on a physical issue going on some kind of uh intellectual issue going on that has never been treated or never been captured or never been looked at or maybe it has been looked at or attempts at treatment but it just you know the situation where the person is residing is just not uh, even helping, even if they're in some kind of treatment. Like, you know, if you're living in a traumatic environment, there's only so much a treatment provider can really do for a person, right? So let's say that's a worst case scenario than the 25-year-old coming from, you know, willingly wanting to, like, leave, um, you know, an op- a place of some kind of opportunity and privilege 
say the un the the un unprivileged or underprivileged population of people who already are not really doing too well even by the age of 25 they aren't in a place to have those kind of opportunities to even potentially move up and say you know so in san diego you can make about 18 dollars starting working at mcdonald's um full-time with chances to move up uh and hours are flexible 18 dollars is you're definitely gonna have roommates unless you get lucky and I don't know, but you're usually going to have roommates unless you're making, you really have to be making near $30 an hour to really have an opportunity to not have roommates. If you're just going on like Zillow and looking for an apartment, you're likely going to have to make closer to $40, even more than $40 just to get a, just to qualify to get a studio apartment, right? So that's the picture of income in San Diego. $18 $18 an hour isn't going to cut it. Even close to $30 an hour, in all honesty, isn't really going to cut it if you want your independent housing. Uh, now, if you're sharing housing, which is more and more common, uh, or if you're willing to live like really far away from the main part of the city, like far away, meaning that you'd probably be required to have a car because public transit doesn't go into every single area, or you can move to Mexico. Uh, across the border and that's affordable you can find apartments in the hundred dollar ranges not a hundred dollars but like six seven hundred dollars you can get a solo place uh rosarito you can get a place for about seven hundred dollars uh one or two bedroom apartment uh studio by the beach you know in rosarito but that's about 30 minutes from the border then you have to cross the border so unless you have a century pass you're probably not crossing the border every day to come into work and everything. But if you were working at McDonald's or something, you could afford to live in Mexico and cross the border and work in the U.S. Um, That would be affordable um, if you wanted your own housing without having to share. That's almost the only way that you would be close enough to getting, you know, within not too far of like downtown Um, But you're still not that close and you're coming if you're working like a nine to five, you're basically crossing the border in traffic and then coming back across the border in traffic. So it's not the quickest route. Actually, the quickest route would be opposite um, because traffic in the morning is going north from the border north. Traffic in the evenings is going south and towards the border Uh, it's not all the border but i'm just saying in general rush hour traffic goes that those directions in san diego so you your timing to cross the border if you're trying to just consider like work-life balance um if you're working 18 dollars an hour at mcdonald's that's what it's going to look like um you know you're going to be spending a lot of time at the border it's going to take at least 30 minutes to get to work or from work that's like that's like, you know, on a typical weekday. And that's if you work in like Chula Vista or something, maybe 30, 45 minutes. Um, if you have a century pass, if you don't, I don't know what those, how long that looks like. If you don't have a car, I I don't know, you can use the trolley from the border. Um, that's not public transit in San Diego is not 110% reliable. 
Um, but it, it's, you know, if you're not missing work all the time on your own, uh, you're still going to have some wiggle room to deal with if there's any border issues getting you to or from work. So that's the only really reasonable option. Uh, and Fridays, it can take longer to cross the border as well as Saturdays. I don't know what Sundays look like, but yeah, so that's, that is a livable, that's, that's a way to live off of your wage I don't, I know people who live in TJ who work in the, in the U.S. I don't know anyone who lives in TJ who works up in like Escondido. That would be far. Um, from about San Ysidro, like maybe two exits from the border. If you think like San Ysidro DMV, from about that area to UCSD, like La Jolla-ish UTC area, um, is over an hour in traffic at like if you're trying to get somewhere by like 8 30 9 a.m 9 30 nah, probably 9 30 you might be fine but uh if you're trying to get somewhere by 9 a.m 8 30 a.m you're probably driving nine uh not 90 minutes but 60 75 minutes or so uh to get to that location uh so yeah um so a person who doesn't have um a lot of income and you know isn't in a position to just like willingly quit you know working uh does it sound like a person would want to live off of just you know let me get the government to pay for all my stuff because I can't really work because I have these other problems um I don't want to work because I have you know because I I don't want to work I just want to I don't know what people would want to do. I want to be homeless instead um, and collect money or try to get some kind of housing through uh, a government program. So um, that's kind of the picture that I think that's reality of how things would look in San Diego. If you were trying to just become homeless out of off off of will because you don't want to work and you want to get checks from the government. Now, I haven't even talked about the process to get the checks, but this is just like if you think about the mindset of a person and what they would need to to make, that's kind of what it looks like. You need to make probably over $30 an hour to not have roommates. Um 40 an hour you'll qualify for something off of Zillow. Um, in the 30s range, you can still find apartments. You can find one bedrooms for like 1400 or so. That's not impossible to find. But I'm just saying like it depends what sites you're looking on too. Uh, you don't want to get into some situation where you would get scammed and like, yeah, it's cheap, but it's like, is it legit, you know? Um, so that's just kind of what that would look like. And just even thinking about it, like, I don't think it makes sense that somebody would go from a position of working, being able to work, even if they hate their job, they're not going to be homeless from 25 to 65 or from 25 till death and just collecting these checks. These checks are little checks. They're not like, I don't know why people assume that uh, the checks that people are getting are like something to even, uh, you know, 
seek out unless you absolutely need it. Like, I don't think anybody's seeking this money out unless they absolutely need it. And especially in California or in Southern California or other places in California, usually people aren't seeking out this money. So um, I think that that's that comment that he made uh, and that other people make. I'm not just blaming. I'm not saying like, okay, he made this. But in general, when people say stuff like, like, um, I want to, you know, I think that, that, you know, people just want to collect these checks, um, and live homeless, a homeless life and get, get to not work. It's like, I don't really see it. I don't see it. I mean, of course, you know, there's going to be a select few, uh, percentage of people who are going to do things like that. But I mean, look at those numbers. I mean, those numbers, it's math, you know, it's like, I'm not making it up. That's what it looks like. I, you know, and it might not look like that exactly today, but it has looked like that at least within the last like six months or so. And things are changing so rapidly. So, I mean, um, don't hold me necessarily to like, okay, like maybe at McDonald's, that's not the starting rate or whatever, like rent has changed, wages have changed, a lot has changed, but, um, I'm giving the most accurate examples of what I can give from what I've seen within the last, like, six to 12 months, but there's been so much fluctuation in six to 12 months. Like, when I was looking for an apartment, you know, on Zillow, not that long ago, it was really hard to find something that was even a studio for $1,500, um, that was really hard to find. You had to push like $2,000 to even be able to like have options of little places. Um, but again, I have friends that have moved and pay between fourteen and $1,700 a month for a one bedroom apartment. Um, I have friends that I know who pay under $2,000 a month for a two-bedroom apartment. So those do exist. I'm not saying that they don't exist. They do exist. But if you're thinking, like, to maximize opportunity of getting something, I mean, obviously, in a housing crisis, everybody's seeking, uh, you know, with the saturated market, people want something cheaper, Right. And so everyone's going to be applying for the cheapest one, you know. So if you can afford a little bit more, then you're going to be more likely. Uh, There was a point where I looked at a studio um, in like Fashion Valley. It was about $1,600 before utilities. And um, I can't remember what the uh, required wage was to apply but uh it was about sixteen hundred dollars um for that studio apartment and they said that maybe six or seven people had looked at that apartment versus I've gone to apartments that were like thirteen hundred dollars, eleven hundred dollars and you know, it, there were studios and they had like thirty people coming every forty five minutes on weekends for viewing and they would find who they needed within that Saturday or Sunday and that was all they needed you know because they were having they were showing the 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 unit and 
they had so many people coming in. They said, because I, I asked and I was like, how many people? And they would have you put your email or whatever on a sheet of paper. And it was like, you know how um, those notebooks are. Each sheet of paper has about um, 30 lines or so, 30 something lines or so, 20 something, 30 something lines, about 30 lines uh, per sheet. And, you know, I see this guy flip over a sheet because, oh, it's the next batch of people coming in to look and starts having everybody put in their email addresses or whatever phone numbers, whatever it was. Um, And so it's like, okay, that's what it looked like at a certain point in time. It's like, yeah, you might get that apartment, but, you know, you can't really guarantee that you're going to get it more than you would likely get one where six or seven people looked and then again you know you're paying like 20 30 40 dollars for these application fees you know every place you apply for even if you're not going to get it you're still going to pay the fee so it's like that stuff adds up you can easily apply for three four places and be paying like 90 90 you know 90 120 dollars or so just to apply for like four places so um, it makes more sense almost to apply for something that costs more um, so you're not losing your deposits all the time but it's like are your uh, your application fees anyways but that's that's not really what we're talking about completely but um, that's kind of what the picture looks like though and so we're gonna take that whole picture um, throw it into a comment that I that I kind of put up and again, I I don't know. If this sounds like I'm trying to, like, troll, um, I, I, I'm not. But um, I hope it doesn't appear that way. I know when I start talking, sometimes I get, like, passionate about what I'm saying. And I sound a little, like, abrupt. But I, I just, you know, I'm not, like, mad at this guy. I'm mad at the system. I'm mad at the, at the problem, you know. Like, even when I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, the injustice, you know. Um... So, you know, I put a comment, it basically said, uh, government benefits are not at all generous in California. I've worked with homeless populations for over nine years. Examples, if a person is lucky enough to receive max benefits, oftentimes it's due to qualifying with a, with pervasive mental, mental health diagnoses and or physical or health concerns. That's one point. Another point, Section 8 wait list is nearly nine years on average in many SoCal areas. People receiving SSI, which is for the mental health disability, um, are almost considered, in quotes, lucky if the benefit is $1,000, um, which often, which not, which, sorry, which is not too often. Um, I know people who received less than a thousand dollars a month. Right, good luck on trying to afford an apartment and food on less than a thousand dollars a month by yourself. I mean, some places you can maybe do that. I mean, you know, you're definitely having roommates in that situation, um, or something, or living somewhere far, or you just get lucky and find a place, but, um, So basically, uh, I put, but they cannot make over the minimum and they will not receive the benefit if they work to add income. 
like if you're making over the minimum. So it's like, uh, and the minimum is not a livable wage, unfortunately. Remember, the livable wage is nearly, uh, the livable wage is, I mean, yeah, you can make $18 an hour and, you know, somewhere between 18 and 25 or so dollars an hour, you're, you're still probably rooming with people or having housemates. Um, you might be able to make a little over 25, uh, you're, that means with all deductions and everything. And if you contribute to your retirement, you're making, you're bringing home about $3,000, uh, three thousand dollars per uh you're bringing home about three thousand dollars uh so that's not good you know it's not a good amount and um so yeah um and let me see sorry i lost my place um, in SoCal, at one point, an average studio was near fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. People need to bring home nearly five thousand to six thousand to qualify for these apartments. With that price range, on average, you know, people need to bring home a lot of money. Uh, many of my clients were adults sharing bedrooms in ILF sites. ILF is an independent living facility. ILF sites. Uh, they paid nearly $900 to live in one room with three people, uh, maybe two people, um, and maybe got one meal provided and $30 or so in EBT. Um, you know, SNAP or, you know, whatever the food stamp type of assistance, um, $30 for CalFresh. Um, some people lived with two and I think to get a single room, uh, you would have to pay over a thousand usually. And then usually the houses would have a lot of people. And so it's like, there would be like one, like two or three bedroom houses, maybe four bedroom houses with about seven, eight, nine, ten people living there with one or two bathrooms, you know, and you're paying $900 a month. I mean, say if you are getting SSI for $1,000, 900 of it goes to room, room and board. You get one meal a day, maybe two meals a day. So you're not having to come out of pocket every meal, but you're still coming out of pocket unless you can live off of one meal a day. And then, you know, you're only getting $30 a month in extra money, as well as having an extra $100 to figure out how you're going to eat all your other meals. Not every place gives you the meal or multiple meals. Um, and the rate of the ILF sites, it changes. Um, at one point, you know, the safe parking lots were all full. Caltrans does not allow people to sleep in cars. Otherwise, uh, in San Diego, you can get cited for sleeping in your own car, either in a parking lot that's not approved or on the curbside. Um, you probably won't get ticketed if you sleep um, I mean, you can't sleep in the parks, you can't sleep at the beach, um, you can't just sleep just anywhere, but 
you know, sometimes people just post up beside buildings or whatever and can just sleep in some random spot, um, you're probably less likely to get cited for sleeping on the sidewalk against a building than you are for getting to, to sleeping in your car, like even in a residential area, not bothering anybody, just sleeping where you would just naturally park a car where it's legal to park and, you know, you could still get a citation um, for sleeping in the car that you pay for that's running and working and not just like flat tires and, and sitting there or something like you can get, you know, in trouble for that. Um, meaning you have to have court dates and get the tickets wiped out and all that stuff. And that's a whole other process. Um, okay. So I put, I could write a book with all I've seen. Um, the problems are only becoming worse. The best helping approaches appear to be intensive work case by case to get someone housed and gainfully employed and in a position to maintain that employment. We'll circle back to some of these ideas. Um, unfortunately, the workers are underpaid, understaffed, overstressed, and overworked. The government can do better, but they won't. If they won't profit from helping a population, they oftentimes won't actually help. I'm not even mentioning here all the fraudulent programs set up to help with housing the people. There is so much shady stuff going on against the homeless. I would love to see where the funding goes. Uh, and then I put in parentheses at the end, your video sheds a lot of light on the crisis and opens many questions that many people have about why the situation is worsening. So I would say he's opening questions. I Those three things that I pointed out that he mentioned are things that I kind of am, eh, I don't really think that people fully understand the picture of what things look like when they start making certain types of comments. Um, and so when someone says that somebody wants to be homeless or wants to stay homeless or wants to continue home staying in a homelessness state i mean yeah there's there's probably a population and small percentage of people who are like you know this is an alternative lifestyle there's a lot of other stuff that a person doesn't have to deal with by living homeless a homeless in a homeless manner but also they're discriminated against it's not like I can live homelessly, freely, however the heck I please to do this. Um, I can be homeless and just, you know, like, if you think about, you know, if you are a housed person and you think about if you were to try to figure out where to stay for the next four weeks, let's say you have $20 in your wallet, no job. Uh, you can carry a backpack and a small duffel bag, uh, put whatever you want in there and try to live in LA or San Diego or somewhere like that, uh, without using the shelter system. Um, how would you live? Um, how would you live? So for a lot of people, if they do decide to use the shelter systems, the shelters oftentimes aren't like 
oh, it's like a nice home where I can, you know, work my nine to five and then live here for, you know, rent free and like keep all my money and stay here for free. And like, no, that's not what the shelters look like. Um, If you've ever seen The Pursuit of Happiness, um, um, at least that shelter had, it looked like in some cases, a private room for like, uh, for male families. So if you're male, there's already going to be difficulty. Uh, We're not even talking like if you're non-binary or trans, um, when it comes to trying to get different types of help like that. Um, there's a lot of discrimination on that end because, um, qualifying for a male site or a female site, um, there are already going to be issues that come up with that, unfortunately. So, you know, um, those groups of people have an even harder time. Men have a harder time. There aren't a lot of, (sighs) Now, there aren't a lot of shelters just for only women, and there aren't a lot of shelters just for only men uh, for adult ages. Um, there aren't a lot of shelters for eighteen ages 18 to 25. There aren't a lot of shelters for, eight, for I think, the most help is for um, domestic violence mothers, possibly. Um, mothers experiencing domestic violence um who have a kid a minor age child or more um in those situations i have seen people get uh, some kind of temporary placement and it still wasn't beautiful nice good but it was maybe a little bit better than some of the other stuff um, and that's like maybe like it's hard to really compare because each site is different um, but it's not like there's hundreds and thousands of sites out there like um, and there's wait lists so if you need a place like today um, it's not that easy to just find one and I know this because this was my job I was literally calling these places I'd be on hold I mean an eight hour shift I would spend an eight hour shift sometimes just the majority of the day, just calling different places, just to get a list of like, who's available when, who can come here, what age ranges, what genders, what, what, what prices, is there a rate, what time do they have to come in, what's the likelihood that they'll even come in, because if you have to go through a screening at a certain time, you can't go to like four screenings in one day, because they all tend to be at like, the same time of evening that you have to be in line and getting screened to get approved to get in and it's day by day sometimes other times you're there until you just don't show up one day and then they kick you out or you have to start over again or whatever that looks like so if you're a mother in a domestic violence situation they likely would have resources where you'd go from some from something like some kind of shelter where you're um, either with a lot of other mothers with their kids in this kind of like barrack style type of places or they they do have other types of voucher options where a person can get a hotel or something along those lines um, I've seen from from that entire range um, but again a person would have to qualify for all this. Um, 
they'd be having to deal with all the trauma and negative situation and horrific problems to have to be able to qualify so it's not like okay you're getting this free hotel it's like yeah but look at why a person is getting it like it's not like they're just like everything's going fine in their life and then they're just like okay I get this thing for free like they're getting it because their life is at risk potentially their child's life might be at risk and so I mean you know there's there's and I don't know if there's more help but I would say in my own personal experience it was easier for me to get those people something um more immediately um and immediately doesn't mean that day or that night that means within maybe like a month or near a month sometimes but sometimes it was within like a week or a couple days um but it took a lot it's like a lot of calling um a lot of like you know connecting and getting the right information because people will tell you one type of information and then you send your client over to that place to do what they said and then it's like oh this is just a screening you're not really in the program you have to come back every day for the next week at 6 p.m and do the same screening again until you actually get in like there are places that are like that so it's like if you think about someone um coming out of a a terrible situation leaving fleeing a situation trying to get some kind of urgent um shelter it's not that easy um it's not that easy um if you're a male i mean i i don't know they don't have a whole lot of shelters for males um that are just exclusively just like homeless males that need the help um i've seen more for women than for males um but there are like places for veterans places for uh people like there there are different ways people can qualify if you uh, so basically I mean, I, this is why, I mean, I, I get it, but I also hate this part, is that if you don't have a qualifying problem, it's hard to get housed. It's hard to get any kind of support. So if you don't have, if you're not actively getting SSI, um, you're, you know, it's going to be hard to get out of a shelter system, get a, you know, there's certain things. So if you're not actively getting SSI, if you're not coming from a domestic violence situation, if you don't have any substance use disorders, if you don't have any, like, severe mental health uh, diagnoses, and that's severe. It can't be... There's certain things that qualify as severe. Not every diagnosis qualifies a person um, for a type of housing assistance. Um, And housing assistance often... uh, Sorry, let me mention also age ranges, ages 18 to 25 are LGBT age range uh 18 to 25 age ranges um i'm just talking like populations of people these are kind of the categories that help people to have a higher potential to get help what that help looks like usually isn't okay i'm in this situation i need housing tonight and then here's the key to an apartment like that can take years to get to that key 
Um, so, hmm, I'm trying to think where do I want to go with, with that. So basically, it's hard to get in. Uh, it's hard to get in to, you know, the shelters. Uh, some of them are like transitional where you can qualify and maybe you're sharing a bedroom with two or three people and you have to volunteer like 20 to 40 hours a week doing something. Um, and eventually you might get connected with some kind of housing worker. Um, a lot of it, the legwork you might have to do yourself if you're the homeless person and finding who these workers are who will accept your case and seeing if you qualify for the program and doing the screening and getting into the program and becoming an actual client of that program and going through the program and doing what that program requires as well as what your transitional housing program requires for you to be able to eventually get into the process of doing all this paperwork to get you into a place where you have a key to an apartment. Uh, That can be a slightly faster route if a person basically if you have certain doctors signing off on certain things um you might be able to bypass a lot of the length that it takes to get the actual money so section eight the wait list is about nine years eight years ten years if you don't have anybody really helping you and you just put in the application right now um that's what it looks like in san diego Um, I've seen people within a month or even three months bypass that whole system, get Section 8 vouchers and be able to find the place and then apply to all these places and then get in. I've seen that. I've seen, um, I've seen that not work more than I've seen it work, but I've seen it work. Um, but usually it's such a lengthy process. It's so involved that if a person is solo trying to do this, um, think about if they have a qualifying diagnosis to even have these be in these programs, usually, you know, there's going to be some kind of mental or emotional like symptoms coming up eventually within the time period of when they're doing these applications. And that can be a bit of a setback, if not a very big setback to trying to like meet all these deadlines and do all this stuff and like fill out the papers and send them back in and go over here and go over there. Um, it's, it's just so slow. It's so slow to get housed. And to think that somebody wants to be in that kind of a system just to make it so that they don't have to work. I don't really see it. I really don't see it. Like, um, I would rather work, honestly. I mean, like, it's not worth the whole effort to do all that if, unless you can't work. I mean, because it's still like a lot of maybes, a lot of letdowns, you know, you're living with people who aren't stable a lot of times. Like I've had clients who were in like some of the nicest transitional places where, you know, they had to get restraining orders against their roommates, their housemates. They were getting, uh, they were at fear of being attacked. There was no protection for them. They had to call the cops. The other people couldn't, the, you know, the, the owners of the place couldn't kick out the person because that is some other kind of situation where they're not allowed to kick out an at-risk person to kick them out onto the streets because they're already homeless. That's how come they qualify. 
once you're in a transitional housing, you're still considered homeless. And so, you know, sometimes the homeless people are abusive towards other homeless people. And so you can be stuck in a bedroom with somebody who's just like losing it all the time. And I mean, that's going to affect you, you know, um, and it can just be in the household. It can be in the environment. You can have to go to these different programs. We have groups and all these things and have some unstable people around you. Like, you know, there's an aspect of like instability being around people too, where it's like to think that that doesn't impact a person. I mean, if we all think about somebody that we don't want to be around, imagine having to be around somebody like that on a regular basis just to be able to sleep somewhere at night. It's like, why? You know, why would somebody opt into that on purpose just to eventually not have to ever work? You know, it's like, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't really know. But, okay, so... This is definitely a rant, um, but that's kind of what it looks like to um, try and navigate these systems. Now, if you did have a severe mental health diagnosis and what they, you know, to try to qualify for SSI, for disability for mental health disorder, to try to get that, on average, it takes about three years, right? So a person cannot be gainfully employed and just paying for their apartment and living, you know, well for three whole years. They have to prove that they need this money. Oftentimes, the government makes them prove this by remaining in poverty for three years. Right? Um, So... Basically, if you're able to afford your own studio or apartment by working, you're probably not going to be able to oftentimes get accepted for SSI while you're doing that. You have to be able to get a mental, get diagnosed with the mental health diagnosis that's considered severe enough to be able to get the SSI funds. Now, the amount of funds that a person gets, I've seen people get about $600, $700, $800 a month. I've seen people get about um, maybe... Usually when someone's getting like $900 or $1,000 or maybe like $1,005 or a little over $1,000, that is a high amount of money. Um... I think some of the people that I've worked with that were receiving the highest amount possible, they were receiving maybe $1,050 or something like that. And again, look at what I was saying before. If you're having an ILF, right, you're living in an ILF, you know, sharing a bedroom with a person who has some other disorder going on, and then a whole house with seven to 10 other people who have all other kinds of things going on, close quarters, one or two bathrooms, people have all kinds of problems happening, and then you're paying $900 to share a room, you don't even get privacy, you don't even have enough money left over to go do anything, so you can't even just leave the house and go hang out and go do all kinds of stuff, you know, you're kind of just there, 
And one thing I didn't mention about the shelters is that a lot of times the typical shelter, you're getting there in the evening, like around dinner, like around five or four, like probably around 5 p.m. But you probably have to line up if there's ones that require screenings or something, you probably have to be in line around three or four o'clock to get screened to maybe you qualify. And then you have to be in line at five o'clock, get in the door at five o'clock, stay in there all night long. You can't come and go. Usually it you stay in there all night long. Um, and then you, they kick you out in the morning, like maybe five in the morning, maybe six in the morning, you're out the door doing whatever it is that you're doing, um, maybe even 7 a.m., but either way, it's early. Like, a lot of times, these shelters have people come out of the shelters before things are even really open. Like, you can't even really go hang out at the library or anything because nothing's open. And so, you know, unless you're work, I think the reason that I've heard is that it's to encourage people to try to work. But if you think about it, if you have to work and you're working until five, you might not, depending on the shelter, you might not make it into the shelter by five o'clock because five o'clock is late. Um, and so that is another problem with the shelter system is that it doesn't really help people. Like they're not just lounging all afternoon and like, hey, I'm here at noon on a Saturday and like eating my, you know, Uber Eats burrito and chilling and watching TV and like a, a, a lounge or something like no they're they're kicked out you know um so people can still be living a combination on the street and in a shelter um and so sometimes a lot of people choose not to use the shelters because they don't want to be around all kinds of people with all these other kind of situations and it's too overwhelming and traumatic for them to be around that all day um they don't feel safe there people get harassed people get accosted and multiple other types of things can negatively happen to people in those shelters. Um, I don't know the percentages on that or the stats, but it's not like it never happens. Um, and usually the people who don't like the systems have a reason why they don't like it. Um, sometimes the staff are just not good. Um, and so that's kind of what that looks like. I'm trying to think if I've forgotten anything. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. Using shelters, trying to connect with caseworkers. So basically, um, yeah, if yeah, I talked about SSI, how much a person would maybe potentially get. Um, I mean, it's not that easy to live off of anywhere between like 800 and a thousand dollars a month. That's not, you know, and, and considering that, you know, like I mentioned, you know, people can't make more, like, I don't know what the minimum amount is that someone with, with who, who gets an SSI check. I don't know what the minimum amount is considered. Um, but it's not that much money. Like, I don't think a person's allowed to make 2000 a month. I think it's a thousand something like 1500. I don't know. Um, somebody's going to have to find the accurate number on that, but it's not a lot of money. Um, and like I mentioned, you know, usually you need to be bringing home about 
$6,000 or somewhere near $5,600 to be in a more comfortable position. So if you're getting $1,500 and and they cut off your, say they cut off your disability because you're making over $1,500 because you pick up a McDonald's job or something or whatever job, it can be any job. I'm using McDonald's because they are hiring and they've been hiring and um, it seems like a good starting spot um i don't really know if it is but um the amount of money i made in 2019 working in a job like this i was making 18 dollars an hour so that number is very significant to me i was doing work with people who needed this type of support making 18 dollars an hour and now a person who's working at mcdonald's can starting can make $18 an hour. So that's kind of showing how, you know, the rates of uh, income have changed um, significantly in the last few years. It's like three or so years ago, you know, I mean, I still had a master's degree and I was making, and 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 I had been working in the field for a very long time. And that's what my employer paid to do all this kind of work with all this kind of stress with all this type of people taking work home working you know off the clock um doing what we we, we used to call secret overtime just because we cared enough to want to help the people and we were so passionate about the work that we were doing the work was there were never enough hours in the day to do all the work that we needed they couldn't you know they never paid us even a wage where it was like appropriate for having a master's degree um i mean the this is then now a lot of those pay rates have changed so in a lot of those sites people are making almost double that um but like i said the cost of living you oftentimes might be hard pressed to try to find a place in san diego making under 40 dollars an hour um you know it's still you know studios one bedroom apartments um with a master's degree and a lot of student debt for a lot of people so it's kind of like you know you start thinking after a while it's like okay like and i'm not talking about licensed people this is different i'm talking about people who are working for county for homelessness programs and say if you're not licensed you're not making a lot of money and you're doing a lot of work uh and it's not the problem that doing the work doing the work is not the issue you know gladly we we go into these fields because we gladly want to do the work it's not the work that's the issue it's just that the problems make this type of job uh possible or required and then to try to help the people it's not that straightforward as you can tell you know um now i'm not gonna put a bunch of companies on blast but um just look through what's on 211 on 211 san diego's website and look up like zip codes like 92101 like downtown region you know see what kind of resources are out there and try to call a place see if they even answer most of these shelters don't even have a direct number where you can call and talk to a person and they'll actually answer the phone you can wait on hold for hours and hours or minutes and minutes and ages and ages 
Um, and a lot of times, even when people do answer, it's not like, okay, I got a direct hit of a place where I can send a person. I'm sending them there now. They're coming on the bus. They'll be there in an hour. No. And usually that's not how it works. You gather information slowly from multiple sites when eventually they answer the phone or someone else tells you information about that site and how to potentially get through and who to talk to and how to get them and blah, 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 blah. Or the people call you back after you leave a voicemail and emails and all this other kind of stuff. And eventually they get back to you. Most of the time, the answer is no, we don't have anything to help this type of person. And then sometimes it's just a generic, like, come to this place, do the screening at three o'clock or five o'clock or whatever it is, and they'll see if they might get in. And that's a start of a process. But if anything goes wrong, once they get into that door, a lot of times it's starting the process over again. They can get connected eventually to a social worker. That social worker might leave and the company might never reassign the client to another person. And then the services might lapse because they go what's considered 90 days inactive that they never met with another provider because nobody called them because their initial provider left and the company never called back the client with another provider who they're now assigned to another caseworker. They never reassigned the client. 90 days later, they're dropped out of the program. They got to start over again. These are the types of things that happen. And I've seen this more than not. Um, where there are companies that just the the turnover rate is so high and the problem is so large with the homelessness crisis that there aren't enough workers or resources to even help every single person. So they have to triage and then they have to basically decide who's the most severe of all these types of people. They get the help first And again, this isn't immediate help. It's not the day of, the week of. It can be months and months um, for people to get what they need. Meanwhile, a lot of these people who are qualifying for these types of programs qualify because they have other types of disorders that actually qualify them. Maybe they have a cancer diagnosis. Maybe they have major depressive symptoms with psychosis, you know, as well as other diagnoses with PTSD and all kinds of other stuff. You know, people might have a lot of severe diagnoses. So meanwhile, while they're trying to navigate this whole system that, as I'm explaining, it it doesn't make any sense, right? It's like, you know, to try to make someone with an illness go through all these hoops, having to have at least one professional person trying to guide them through the system and help them with the paperwork and help them with all these applications and a whole company who this one caseworker is consulting with other staff and directors and supervisors and helping one client at a time just one person okay one person eventually gets housed and god forbid they lose that housing for whatever the reason i mean we've had people doing section 8 fraud not the clients themselves not the patients not the homeless person doing the fraud the people who accept the section 8 housing voucher fraudulently doing some weird thing taking the money from the government and kicking people out evicting them out of the section 8 housing wrongfully evicting them taking the money leaving them homeless and on the street again you know this happens people collect those checks and take advantage of the of the vouchers um 
and leave people just hanging out in the wind. And once that voucher is gone, they don't just give you another one, you know, and you have a certain amount of time to, to get to use the voucher. I don't recall how many months, but it's not a very long time. And you have to basically find housing. So say they give you, let's just pick a number. Say they give you a $1,500 voucher and then another $1,500 for the deposit. And maybe you were with another company's support to get you to get your like utilities and electric and all that stuff turned on so that once you move in, it's like an adequate environment to live. I mean, you have to do all this stuff. You know, you have a caseworker with the Section 8. You have a caseworker with whatever, you know, other caseworkers doing, helping you with the housing site or the housing support program. You probably have a psychiatrist. You probably have a therapist. You probably have uh, physical health doctors. You have all these different providers and people kind of up in your business about all kinds of things and having probably a whole bunch of appointments because you can't just not have appointments if you're trying to qualify for like a diagnosis or if you have a diagnosis or if you need medications you have to go to all these appointments and so it's like I don't know I mean I'm just laying it out there because I'm like this you know when I speak about things I kind of see a picture better and I'm like this isn't working you know it's not working it's not helpful completely but what people see is oh this person has a free SSI check but they don't ask people how much they're getting from SSI that's not a lot of money I wouldn't want to only get a thousand dollars a month and try to figure that out in San Diego you can't even afford anything and I mentioned before my rent was one of the cheapest of anybody I knew because I was paying under eight hundred dollars to share a house with like a bunch of people but I had my own room and it was under $800 and people know what I had to deal with to have that under $800 rent and the types of people I was living with. And so that wasn't even really worth all that, but it wasn't worth the cheapness. Um, but you know, I had friends paying $1,300 for the same type of, of room or a hundred or thousand dollars at a certain point, uh, for the same types of bedrooms. You could rent a bedroom in San Diego for about $1,000 at a certain point. Um, now, again, these have changed within like a couple months. Some of these rates are a little different, but they're not like so significantly better where it's like everything completely dropped in price. Like it, people still need to be bringing home a certain amount of money and $1,000 isn't livable. Neither is $1,500. Um not in not in San Diego. In some places maybe, but the cost of living in San Diego is not um cheap. And that's pretty similar for Orange County and Los Angeles as well, and the Valley of LA and north um but and then we get to the bay and everything and it's like, "Oh my goodness." But um I mean, Southern California, at least the weather, I'm not saying like, I'm not saying that I even agree with people having to live outdoors, but I do think that is potentially part of the issue is that technically if somebody had to live outside 
in the continental U.S. I mean, the coast of California, especially Southern California, most of the year, the climate is, like, decent enough. Like, you're probably not going to, like, die from the elements, but, I mean, sun exposure, pollution exposure, like, just the traffic, the noise, the amount of people everywhere, you don't get any privacy, and, you know, there are winters, it's cold, like, I think last night, it was like, I'm in LA right now, and it was like 42 degrees last night or something, like, it's not warm, necessarily, like, it's not snowing, but we've had a lot of rain, um, it gets chilly, it gets cold, um, so yeah, it's, it, yeah, um, I'd like to find more solutions to these issues, I feel like some of these things should be more streamlined, I feel like the, the system that people have to go through just to get what they need, I, I really do think that the system, is designed to weed out people who are trying to uh, fraud the system. Because, I mean, nobody's going to go through all this on purpose, you know, um, just so they can get $1,000 a month or something um, and have to suffer and be worried that they're making too much money or getting too much money. Um nobody so I don't even know like I I don't know like yeah nobody a percentage of the people but I mean that 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 you know also shows too though um people's um relationships with work I feel like a lot of people who dislike their jobs kind of look at things or have had experiences or know about what it's like to dislike a job look can look around and be like oh like this person isn't working they they might have it better than me in some ways because they don't have to deal with the the bs i have to put up with at work and maybe that's where that mentality comes from people see somebody not working and they assume oh like they have it better because they're not working uh and then they see someone who's homeless and not working and gets money from the government and they think, well, I wish I could get money from the government. Like everybody wants money for free. Like, let's be real. Like nobody, nobody would usually pass up just somebody just like here, here's some free money, no strings attached. Um, you know, most people would just have at it. Most people aren't going to like fight you on it necessarily, you know? Um, but if somebody's not getting a livable wage, I wouldn't call that lucky, you know, I wouldn't call that helpful. Um, it's almost like, and I don't mean to sound so negative, but it's almost like, you remember when we were getting stimulus checks, um, on occasion during the Rona? Now, in the profession I was working in at that time, um, I was basically making, uh, basically I was working the whole time. I was working full time throughout the whole Rona because the mental health field was needing people to work. Like we weren't necessarily not working. 
we were working more than ever before um, in a lot of ways. And so much was just changing all the time. But we were working a lot. And, uh, you know, we got the same, you know, uh, stimulus checks, you know. I think I got one that was like $1,200 or something. And I'm like, cool, it's free money. You know, and another one, I got some kind of debit card recently. I think it was like 350 bucks or something uh, at the end of like 2022. I got another one that was a debit card. I can't remember what. So I got at least two debit cards and one check. And that money, in my opinion, I was like, this is investment money. You know, um, I just invested it. Um, either like some of them went to a small business that I've been building up from that money and others of it went to, you know, other types of investments, uh, through my retirement. Um, so like mutual funds index, uh, man, I think I have a weird issue with my throat. I'm sorry. But yeah, like unless that money is growing, it's not really a lot of money, in all honesty, a couple times here and there. And so it's like when people were getting that money, it's like, cool, this is the first time in my life that I remember the government ever just being like, here, take this, you know, Um, it wasn't enough to really do anything with for a long term period. It's like you can go to the mountains and go snowboarding take a couple trips invest some of it like it was a little bit you could have fun you can buy some groceries you could fix your car a little bit like do some important stuff do some fun stuff but it wasn't like I'm gonna be able to live off of this for like months you know and I'm a single person that doesn't have an extravagant expensive lifestyle by any means and um for me that money didn't go that far. Um, I like, so I'll put it this way. I knew it wasn't going to go that far if I was, if I was going to spend it on other, you know, things, but because I didn't need to spend it on other things necessarily, I just took it and used it as investment money. Um, because I'm like, I, you know, I was still getting paychecks, but in a way the money was almost like a weird slap in the face And that's kind of how I feel about, you know, uh, when people get SSI or something like that. Like, I feel like for them, the money is like a slap in the face. Like, the government's giving you, like, a little bit of something, but it's not enough to really, like, thrive off of. Um, You're still suffering. You're still worrying. It doesn't make your symptoms go away. Um, You might be able to maintain a little bit better, but you still aren't able to just fully live off of it while you're, you know, building your income, working really hard, going to work, working full time, getting more income, and then being able to like create a stable life from there and then get off of that government money. Um, for someone to do that process is hard. Um, if they see how much money you have in your bank account, like within a day or two, they will shut that down. And they will take away all that money that you waited years to get and you will have to reapply for it. Um, And who knows how long it takes to get that back. 
and you can't just go back to work and start working because then you won't qualify for it because you're making too much. And so they kind of put people in this predicament where you're like, how the heck am I supposed to like get out of it? You know, say if, say if I did have some kind of diagnosis that it went away, you know, um, to a point like I got better um, and healed enough through the process of getting housing and getting the government assistance where I was able to kind of slowly be able to start working and working and working till I could work full time and actually get on my feet. Um, that takes a lot, you know, to be able to like, how do you put money aside to be able to, to pay for your rent if you can't keep it in your bank? You know, it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's a problem. And I think, you know, my whole purpose was with this is that I want to spread more um, information about a lot of the notions that people state about homelessness. I hear these kind of uh, trends in talking about homelessness. And like, yeah, I agree. I, I can see that if somebody's getting free money, um, then okay, you know, it sounds like, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I would want free money too, but I know the reality of the situation is that this free money comes at a price for these people, for the homeless people, it comes at a price, a price of poverty, and I believe that poverty oftentimes leads to a form of trauma in itself, but poverty basically you have to stay in poverty to be able to get the money you have to have an illness or a situation or problem to be able to get the money you're not usually going to be able to be very well very healthy just like able to be like super happy in your life and work and have full like autonomy and control over your situation and just get money like usually that's not the case and i think a lot of times people don't recognize that a lot of these people who get this money have other stuff going on unfortunately and that's why they qualify for it is because they have other kind of problems now that's not 110% of the time but oftentimes at least from the perspective of where i worked i don't think i've i mean i've seen people get denied for ssi i've seen people get denied for EBT. I've seen people get their money taken away from them. I've seen people owe the government. I've seen, you know, all kinds of situations where it's like, you know, the money isn't really as free as it seems. It's not like they're getting like so much money, you know, they're not getting like $10,000 a month for free to just like live and just do whatever, you know, it's like, the people I know who receive these funds can't afford to go on trips, you know, around Christmas. I've had clients who are like trying to struggle to get free stuff so they can give it to their grandkids uh, for Christmas or if they could afford to go to McDonald's on, on occasion or afford the $10 car wash on occasion, um, you know, that's a good day. You know, it's like they don't have a lot of money to go do things and then a lot of times you know their mental health or physical health or both is not very stable and so you know to have to deal with all that just to get the free money it's like if I could work I just work like I, I don't think 
I don't think that people really use the system. Like, it's not built so people can really manipulate it that badly on such a large scale. Like, yeah, I'm sure a few people slip through. But like I said, you're not getting the money overnight. You have to go to psychiatrists and do all this stuff. And they have to build a case you you get, um, you know, connected to an attorney through legal aid or something along those lines and they basically set up a case for you and have to get all this casework from doctors if your diagnosis isn't severe enough if you're um if you don't get meds or something like that um if you haven't utilized the hospital because of the severity of your problems over multiple years you know if you don't have a case already built and you've never been treated for anything you know um it's going to be kind of hard to qualify or you might have to start from scratch building a case over years that way it's like I don't think anybody really wants to go through all that just to be able to be like oh yeah like I'm playing the system like I don't think anybody really does but um I hear people talk about it but I don't know at least in the area that I'm talking about I don't really see it Um, Maybe in other areas, it might be different, but I'm thinking too, in other areas, homelessness is different just because of the weather in general and all the other situations, but the cost of living is different, but also pay rates are different. And so, like, even out here, like, you can get a high pay rate, but the cost of living is so high, even if you have a high pay rate, like, even like I said, when I was making $18 an hour, that wasn't really enough to really always afford what I needed um, and making under, under $30 an hour can be a bit of a struggle. Like if you think about not just living now and thinking about saving for your future and having a retirement, you know, making 30 an hour or so isn't going to get too far if you don't have living options that aren't taking all your money. Um, and so you can't really properly even retire um and that's something to think about too you can't just be like oh yeah I'm making the money now and then it's like okay but it's like if you're barely making it now that means that you're not contributing to retirement unless you're not making a lot of money because a lot of it's going into retirement which is a whole different way of doing things but um so I think that's mostly most of my rant um but that's kind of what the system looks like um, in a long-winded nutshell. Um, from the experience of a person who's worked in the field for a length of time, um, not currently, uh, I stopped working in the field December 30th of 2022, right before the new year. Um, so, you know, I'm not currently working in the field, but uh not I'm so I'll put it this way I'm not currently actively working in the mental health field in case management like I was before um now I am working towards uh helping homeless people but that's going to take funding uh to be able to do that and you know I'm in the process of seeing if I can write grants um for some of the ideas that I that I have, but that's not gonna happen like by tomorrow or anything. Like this is like gonna be a it's a it's a long term plan on my end. Uh 
to contribute to helping homeless people. Um, so I, I left to do something different, but I also wanted to still work uh, in the field, but not through county. I want to do it my own way, do my own thing. Um, but <sighs> that was tiring. That was tiring. Uh, I hope I didn't tire you guys out, but, um, I don't know. Are there answers to any of this kind of stuff? What do people think, you know, like, is there a way to make it better? Um, um, like, I think I've talked about my old site that was that the old clinic that I used to work at where, you know, just for a person to get in, how they had to go through multiple screenings over multiple days, almost within one to two weeks just to finally get in and see a psychiatrist, you know. Um, One psychiatrist told me that when they're looking at SSI applications, the thing that, you know, a judge might look at is, can this person stand at this table and fold towels for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week at minimum wage? Do they have any symptoms that are going to impact them doing that type of work? Can they just do a monotonous task? You know, is there anything that's going to disrupt that? Um... So I would say the majority of people can do that. Now, the majority of people would not probably want that as their work, especially if they can't be, like, distracted, like, listening to podcasts or watching TV or doing something simultaneously. Like, I don't think I'd want to do that. Like, I think I mentioned I had a friend who, I don't remember what it was, but they were counting, like, bolts and screws and nails and stuff like that uh, for, like, shipments. Like, you know, when, when like construction companies order, like, 10,000 nails or something, and then, like, there's somebody who counts these things out, that was this job. It's, like, there's certain jobs where it's, like, most people don't want to actually, like, you're not going to be motivated to, like, wake up and go do that unless they pay you, like, a lot, you know, because <laughs> that does not sound like motivating work. Like, I don't think I would want to be struggling barely making any money doing that every day like the towel folding or counting things or whatever like but you know if a person isn't symptomatic enough to be able to to do those types of jobs a lot of times they might not get the disability funding to not be able to work or um yeah like to not have to work to to qualify for housing like the combination of those things usually you have to have some kind of diagnostic proof and build some kind of a case over time to show that you can't work usually they're not just going to be like oh this person doesn't want to work they want to be homeless here's a lot of money here's ten thousand dollars a month for you to live off of or here's even $8,000 for you to live off of. Like, no. Like, even if they do give a person money fast, even trying to get to, like, the $1,000 or so a month range is a lot of money. 
and then even trying to bypass that lengthy section eight like nine or so year wait like people can do that but it's like you have to qualify to be able to bypass it you can't just bypass it like usually a doctor or somebody has to be like this person is severe and they need this now you know and the system that these people are often in with the doctors that that serve them a lot of these doctors have so many clients and have so much that they have to do and yeah they do know their clients uh, there are a lot of good providers out there. I feel like they're more good providers than not, at least in my experience. And maybe it's just because the people I've talked to and the people I've worked with and all my friends, like everybody was like usually pretty great. But uh, at least like with the psychiatrists and most of that kind of stuff. But I feel like just the way the system's built, they're not sitting and like talking to these people like all the time. Like they see them once every four to six weeks for less than 30 minutes um of course they're coordinating with entire teams a lot of times and they know the cases and they're very intelligent um and they care and they work well with the clients but it's like to try to paint a picture for a judge um it takes a whole team of people to have records created by multiple staff um accurately that depicts all these types of things um and so I don't know that's what it looks like for me for from my point of view and from what I've experienced working with people and um uh I don't know I don't really know. I'm trying to think of if I'm missing anything. I'm going to look at a couple of these other comments. Uh, I'm not going to read every single piece, but it says uh, one from two months ago. I'm retired now and have been looking around wondering what I worked for and did other than just get by. Ten days ago. I used to live, uh, this comment says, I used to live in a homeless camp under a bridge in Maryland and was not doing things right. So once I got myself together and started doing things right, uh, the right way, uh, my life has changed for the best these days. Um, another comment one month ago, I am a native Californian in San Francisco Bay Area and thoroughly disgusted by what has been happening in our communities so sick and dangerous another edited 10 days ago after losing my home to foreclosure in 2003 i moved into a one-room apartment when my brother died i moved in with my sister-in-law and because she was in her fourth stage of oh not and sister-in-law because she was in her fourth stage of ovarian cancer uh, when she died, I became one of the, in quotes, working homeless, showering four out of five days at the school and living in my car. A friend let me sleep on her couch for a few weeks until her neighbor complained uh, to the homeowners association. I finally retired in 
2016 and moved into a halfway house. I'm currently living in a transitional housing unit at the YMCA, hoping to move into an accessible apartment as I am permanently disabled. Uh, A comment from 11 days ago, I worked with the homeless many years uh, with different organizations. People don't realize that a lot of homeless are not what you expect. Um, There are a lot of homeless children, teens, and families. There are also a lot of homeless veterans and adults with disabilities. It's a complex issue because every homeless person is different and has a different circumstance. Um, Yeah. Um, I mean, this person goes on to talk about some other stuff. and they have a a comment at the end about uh, or a, 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 a sentence at the end that talks about people who are not citizens. Um, I don't want to get into that because I don't I don't really know. Um, a comment from two weeks ago. I retired three years ago. I was always it was always my dream to wander around the country. I own four vehicles and paid off and a paid sorry, I can't read properly sometimes. I own four vehicles and a paid off house in Texas. I quickly realized that um looking well off was not an option. It draws attention, most of it bad. So I travel in my beach mobile. It is a rusty ninety six Jeep with 375,000 miles and a few dents. I took out the back seats and put a mattress in it. I fixed it up comfortable. I stay clean and shaved and uh, sorry, by showering in laundromats and truck stops. The low profile has allowed me to see and go anywhere without drawing attention. I sleep in Walmart parking lots and homeless encampments. When the weather is awful, I get a motel room. I often camp alone in the desert. I have met hundreds of homeless people. I befriend them by buying a bucket of chicken, and I listen to their stories. Most at one time had a reasonable. Most at one time had a reasonably good life. Most have a good heart. They really appreciate that I share what little I have. That's how I look to them. Uh, This I have learned. Government cannot solve this problem. Churches have the best chance of helping. The one-on-one human connection touches their heart. For example, of being clean and shaved. The example of being clean and shaved encourages them. Um, I've watched the light return to their eyes when they realize someone cares and it goes on, um, from one month ago, somebody said, we can't talk about any third world country when our country looks like this, this is beyond sad. Another from one month ago, it's just like Hooverville during the great depression where all the people who lost their homes and couldn't find jobs built shacks and made pallets in Central Park. The fact 
that we aren't in a depression and this is happening just shows how the politicians of California have failed absolutely miserably. Um, our rent for our two bedroom, this is another comment from one month ago. It's the last one I'll read. Our rent for over two, sorry. Okay. Let me start over. From one month ago, our rent for our two-bedroom low-income apartment was $760 when we left California in 2016. The rent has now gone up to $2,200 for the same apartment complex. If we had stayed, we would have wound up in the same boat. These poor people, we thank God we got out. Thanks to a group of our friends just in the nick of time. So I'm going to end this episode here. Um, I like I I like some of these comments. I mean, it's unfortunate that that's the truth, but I, you know, I don't when I say I like something, it, it doesn't mean that I'm saying like I like the situation that they're in. I'm just saying I I, I like how they describe what they're saying um, because it does seem like a lot more of an accurate depiction of what goes on for people unfortunately and I think that's more so what's needed is the accurate the accurate depictions of what it is that actually is going on uh, people sharing their experiences either firsthand secondhand thirdhand um, I feel like overall homelessness is not too well understood uh, in society. It's like, you know, it's like another type of culture or like, it's almost like, I mean, this is going to sound, I'm about to make a super ignorant comment. I already know this, but it's almost like for me, how I felt when I started watching a lot of documentaries and like YouTube channels about people who lived on indigenous reservations in the US and starting to hear them speak about their own lives from their own point of views with updated information about what they experience. And I was just shocked. I was like, I had no idea. Like, it sounds because it sounds like you know we get taught these ideas about people about like you know I did assume that a lot of people on the reservations had some different form of access to housing that other people who didn't live on reservations would have I assumed that their government that they had on the reservations the tribal governments were more supportive towards them I didn't understand the economics or housing crises and other like uh, emotional crises and all these types of situations that were going on um, on such a systemic level um, and you know it was like I know these communities exist I can even identify certain places where certain reservations are I've been to certain areas um, and talked to certain people firsthand and was shocked about the information I learned uh, once I was, you know, starting to learn either firsthand or through like videos and things, um, because it's like another culture that's like, 
I know it's there. I know it exists. I know, you know, I see them. Uh, you know, it's not like it's completely invisible to me. But at the same time, you know, our worlds don't directly cross paths in a way that, like, it was always something that I um, was able to fully understand until I started actively, like, paying more attention. And I feel like with homelessness, that's kind of what happens often, too, is, like, a lot of us live in areas where we see the homeless, you know, we know they're there, but unless you know someone who's homeless who described their story, unless you've been homeless... Uh, unless you've helped homeless people or worked with homeless people or worked in a place where homeless people frequent, um, like if you work at a Starbucks or a certain place where they go often, you know, um, it, it might be a little difficult to kind of understand, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of things we need these firsthand or secondhand or learning types of experiences and it's so easy to be like, oh, like, I'm just going to spout off some thing that I heard somebody else say and not really think twice about it and just think, OK, this is what I heard somebody else say and just assume that that's the reality. And then, you know, once a person delves into learning about a specific culture, oftentimes it's like, oh, I see that I was not accurate in thinking this way. And... um. I thought I knew something, and I obviously don't know, um, so, um, but yeah, I'm not here to try to, like, shame people or put them down, um, or anything, and this isn't even my video that I'm commenting on, I'm commenting on someone else's stuff, and reading comments on their video, and just going off on a whole tangent rant about just, you know, how much I don't like that the system is just not a great one and um um I don't fault the homeless and I actually don't fault the people who don't know uh about what a lot of homeless people experience because not everybody can know about every culture all the time you know a lot of people are busy they like to spend their free time doing other things and, you know, resting, being entertained, like doing other, like fulfilling things. And maybe they don't want to focus on every single, you know, subculture in their area. I mean, people have the right to live their lives, you know, um, and learn about what they do or don't want to learn about. But, um, you know, I've really taken it upon myself to try to learn about what I see around me. And I think, it helps when people do that, um, if they can, if they're comfortable with it. And I'll tell you, it's a really uncomfortable experience, um, to kind of challenge thinking on things. It's not easy, but, um, it's rewarding in a lot of ways to see, um, that there is a way to help people and to try to like implement methods to help people, even if it's a little bit of people at a time, um, you know, the more we know, the more we can help and, um, we can help for the change of things. But I, I don't know. I, um, 
Mm, I'm just going to stop recording because this is getting really long. But thanks for listening.